0: You were listening to Fancy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan and on this show we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fancy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture and here's why. I mean Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for do it and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up, the Academy has disappointed me too many times.
1: Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room.
2: I can't remember the last time I walked out of a movie theater in such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies.
0: And the Oscar goes to. Welcome into episode thirty-eight of Fancy Film Ball. My name is Dill.
2: And my name is Matt, and this is a show where we turn movies into sports, and sports into something we don't talk about here. And today is so special. Not only is this our last episode where we're going to be revisiting this year's Best Picture nominees, we also have an incredibly special guest. Every week we have a guest on the show, but this week it's extra special. And Dylan, do you want to introduce our guest today?
0: Yeah, 100%. So, last week, Matt had on someone that he will soon be related to, and I have someone that I am currently related to. My grandma's on the show, so uh, I don't know how I'm going to refer to you throughout the show, because to me, you're Nini, but to most people, you would be a grandma. So, but uh, how does it feel to be fine. here? How does it feel to be here?
1: It feels great. I've been going to movies with Dylan for a long time. i see more movies now than I've ever seen in my whole life.
0: Yes, that is true.
1: So, Yeah. I find this really fun, but I don't know all the technical jargon you guys know, so you'll have to excuse me.
0: You'll you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Like you said, you you see a lot of movies, but on this Mm -hmm. show, we open up every week with a question. So Matt, I'll hand it back over to you. What is our question of the week?
2: So... This week's question, I I want to talk about turning around on a movie, because I think a lot of people have turned around on at least some of this year's Best Picture nominees. For me, it was Tar, which was a movie that I didn't like the first time I watched it, but I liked the second time that I saw it. So I want to ask everyone here, what's a movie that you at first didn't like, and then later on, you did? Uh, And for me, uh, aside from Tar, I want to say Citizen Kane, which so many people say is the greatest movie of all time. The first time I watched it, I think I was 12 years old, 13 years old at the time. And I just thought, I don't get, I don't get what all the fuss is about. This is the greatest movie ever. This is boring. And I watched it again later and I thought it was boring and I didn't get the hype. And I watched it a third time and I didn't get it. And then... And then I was taking a film class in my first year of university, and they assigned us to watch Citizen Kane, and I went, I don't want to watch that again. I've seen it three times now, it's nothing special. And I went, you know what, I'll give it one last chance. And I did, and now it uh, it's in my top ten of all time, and I've seen it three times since then, and I think it's brilliant. So that was my biggest 180 turn on something.
0: I mean, uh, more power to you for the commitment. I, If I didn't like the movie after like the third time, I probably still wouldn't be watching it. However, for yeah, me... it's that's
2: the greatest movie of all time, right? I feel yeah, like fair it enough. deserved another chance.
0: Fair enough. I mean, if you're talking about the greatest movie of all time, I know that uh, Nini's picked for this question because she normally... Um, I'll just hand it over to her. She, she can uh, say her piece here.
1: Well, I usually love every movie I see. So this is a hard one for me to answer. So... I'm going to kind of reverse it and tell you the movie I I just totally hated, the only movie I can think of that I really hated, and that was Vice. Um, oh, yes. I, yep, I sat I sat there agree with wondering, you. I kept wondering if it was ever going to end, and they kept teasing me because they'd act like it was ending, and it would start back <laughs> over again. So, sorry about that. I've never loved one more for seeing it again i love them all
0: i mean it's fair enough
1: except vice
0: except vice (laughs) but for all the adam McKay fans out there she did like (laughs) don't look up so it, it evens out it evens out but for me kind of on that same type of style of like a movie that some people would think is a comedy but it isn't really a comedy would be uncut gems uh the first time i saw this on the big screen i was like this hurts my head um This is not what I expected, but not like in a bad way, just like I was very confused. But then I rewatched it. I think we actually watched it and (laughs) I loved it so much more the second time. I now think it's Adam Sandler's best performance, his best movie. And it's one that I'll always be like, hey, if you want to know what type of movies I like, this is one to definitely check out.
2: I actually had the same thing happen for me with Uncut Gems. Um, The first time I saw it was at the world, not world premiere. Uh, It was the TIFF premiere. I think it previously played at, like, Telluride or something. But I saw that movie, and I left thinking, oh, my God, that was awful. I hated that so much. And it took me a few months, but I ended up revisiting it. And just like you, I ended up absolutely loving it. So I love being wrong. I love when I'm wrong. I
0: know. Hold our L's up.
2: I know. It's it's so—I don't like disliking things, so it's really nice for me when the first time I see something— and I don't like it. I like to go back and I like to, I like when it surprises me. So that's happened quite a few times. And it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling being wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's time for a lot of people to be wrong out there because we're going to dive back into our best picture revisiting series. And this first movie, it's one I think a lot of people are wrong about the first time they watched it. Because you made a very bold prediction that it was going to win a big prize. And now we're here about, you know, six seven months later and it looks like it's going to win that big prize but before i hand it back over to you to start off with our questions for the day we do have a guest a very special guest someone who really loves this movie so uh nini how do you feel about just rewatching everything everywhere again
1: well i loved that movie the first time like i said i usually love every movie but that one just kept my attention, it it changed a lot, the, the visuals were great. You had to really concentrate on it to really follow it, but I thought it was great the first time and I liked it better the second time. I could concentrate more on the, the, the nuances and the Google eyes being everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: So I love this movie. Dylan, like you were saying, this is a movie that I made a bold prediction in May of last year that this would win Best Picture this year, and I am sticking with that. I've stuck with it the entire way along, and everything, everywhere, all at once. The reason why I said a year ago this was gonna win is because it's fresh, it's unique, it's the type of movie that has, it's the type of movie that no one has ever seen before, and it has everything. It has action, romance, sci-fi, and a very heartwarming emotional core. It's got something for everybody. So for both of you, both being big fans of this movie, what is it that stands out most to both of you?
0: So at least for me, as you mentioned, I mean, everything, ever, all at once is literally everything, ever, all at once. It has all that stuff. It has comedy. It has drama. It has action. It has heart. And most importantly to me, it has passion. And like, all that comes together for just this very original and distinctive style this film's unlike anything you have ever seen before and honestly it's probably unlike anything you'll ever see after this just from the very first moment you get on this movie's wavelength and you can just roll with it the rest of your viewing and on this one specifically i was just sucked in and never really wanted to turn my head away normally when we do these revisiting series i'm taking notes throughout the movies like oh this is something i want to talk about this is a topic that I noticed or something I didn't like and for this movie I could never turn my head away but for you Nini, when because we just watched this about like two hours ago so these <laughs> feelings are fresh uh, what really stood out to you this time
1: well I what really stuck out to me this time I, I could concentrate more on the changes and what was going on in each one of those scenes because you, you'd go from instance to instance and they would flash back on other scenes like the chef's hat and the <laughs> karate or whatever that was. But I could concentrate on it better, more the second time around and really appreciate how they were mixing all that together. And I'm not a very technical person, so. <laughs>
0: You're all good. You're all good.
2: No, that's a great answer because this movie, it it really is one that rewards Revisits like I think the second time I watched it. I noticed that the Google eye and the bagel are yin and yang like um, uh, And it's about the outlooks of life, you know, it's either Positivity with a little bit of darkness uh, You know the eyeball with the, the little black dot in the center or it's negativity with a little bit of light the bagel with the little uh dot of light in the center of it and that just blew my mind when when i saw that even down to the movie starting with the washing machine looking like a big googly eye uh mm-hmm. it's just there's so much in this movie and it's so fun to re-watch because of that uh and to me honestly i think the emotional core is what stands out the most for me uh truly this isn't just a, a crazy action movie with wacky sci-fi it's a movie about uh a mother and a daughter and what's more relatable than that it's it's about a family and about the bonds of a family it's so beautiful i've seen a lot of people on the internet saying that this film exclusively appeals to people in dylan and my demographic um you know, under 35s with its absurd humor, inappropriate jokes. And for a while, people were calling me crazy when I was saying that it could win Best Picture because people said it wouldn't appeal to Academy voters, it wouldn't appeal to anyone over 35. Uh, And that's why we wanted to bring you on the show to to speak with you today, because uh, obviously you really enjoy this film uh, and you're much closer to the demographic of... Oscar voters than Dylan and I would be being uh, 23 and 24 years old and so I want to ask you did this movie ever feel too weird to you Uh, did you get it on first watch or you know uh, was there anything that was too weird about this
1: well I was a, a mother of two daughters I still am they're still with us one of them is Dylan's Mother, and I was a single mother of two daughters for a while, so I really do get a lot of the emotion that the mother was showing, as well as the daughter, because I have been a daughter too. But um, as far as the quirky and inappropriate jokes, recently Dylan took me to see Jackass. It was my very, <laughs> oh, very no. first Jackass of any kind. I'd never seen the TV. I've never seen another movie. And my basic feeling of that movie was that it was a bunch of grown men mutilating each other's genitals just for a laugh. And sometimes I had to look away. But um, because that some of that is what I would call inappropriate. The stuff that was in everywhere, everything everywhere all at once, was pretty harmless. I thought it was actually funny. You had the uh, penis weapons that Joy was throwing around, and you had um, two men that jumped butt first onto uh, metal award statues. Those were probably the two most inappropriate things, I thought, and I just laughed.
0: (laughs) So... Yeah, I mean... For the record, we saw Jackass Forever around the same time we saw this last year, so clearly that movie stuck with her for nearly a year, like this one has as well. But um,
2: <laughs> For as different Matt reasons.
0: Mentioned, yeah, as Matt mentioned before, I am in the younger demographic. When I first saw this movie, I was 22, I'm now 23, and it's definitely weird, but not to a fault. I mean, you have sex toys, you have kooky camera movements, the aspect ratios changes throughout, uh, the barrage of costumes and hair and makeup choices, but like I mentioned before, it's all for the better, so... To answer one of your original questions, Matt, yes, to me, this would be the weirdest best picture winner of all time, even trumping the fish sex movie from a few years ago of the imitatorial shape of water.
2: Yeah. Well, something I also learned recently is that uh, Evelyn is meant to be uh, a woman with undiagnosed ADHD. And that's why there's so much bouncing, because it's meant to uh, simulate, not simulate, but it's meant to show how... It can feel sometimes to live inside the brain of just ADHD completely let loose. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I I think it really succeeds at that in a a very funny and endearing way. And Michelle Yeoh does such an amazing job, of course, at at portraying that and portraying Evelyn and finding that emotional heart of the movie. But all the acting performances are amazing. So I want to know who each of your standouts were. And who did you connect with the most in the movie? So
0: to go first here, I think this is a really tough choice because as you mentioned before, Evelyn's great, Joy's great. Um, but for me, it has to be Kiki Kwan's soulful and heart-wrecking performance as Wayman. Like Michelle Yeoh may be the face of the film, Jamie Lee may be the champion, Stephanie Su is the Joy, but... Wayman's is this film's power. It's its heart. It's its soul and its passion. He presents humor, drama, action. He just gives it all to us. And truly, this is like a four quadrant performance in a once in a lifetime type role. And I'm just really happy. I know like you and I both immediately from the jump said, "Hey, he's going to win supporting actor." But I'm I'm glad it's actually happened. That wasn't just like a wishful thinking. So Nini, uh, what about you?
1: Well, I have to agree with you. Um, I related to the women in the the film quite a bit, but to me it was it was uh quan because he changed characters in like a matter of seconds right before our eyes the first time it was in the elevator, and his demeanor, everything about him just changed on a dime. Um, he was also funny, and then he would be sad and I have to say he was really, really hot in the movie theater scenes in that one universe. Uh, He had the suave good looks and mannerisms of a, you know, a golden years of Hollywood leading man. Um, I just thought, and plus I remember seeing him in the Indiana Jones movie and the Goonies movie. And uh, in a lot of ways, he's really come a long way. And In other ways, he reminded me of that little boy.
2: I guess I'll give a shout-out to not just Michelle Yeoh, but Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, Stephanie Hsu, I think, is amazing and would be my favorite supporting uh, supporting actress performance from the movie. But I just want to give a shout-out to Jamie Lee because she's done so much for this movie in making sure people watch it and take it seriously. But she's really funny, and she's transformative. If... You didn't see the credits. If you didn't know it was her going into it, you would never know this was her. She's so- such a chameleon in this role, and she's so funny, and it's just clear she loves this role. She's having so much fun, but Aside from the acting, so much has to be said about the design of this movie, from the costumes, those amazing, amazing costumes for Joy, as well as the production design, uh, the music, the makeup, and the editing. It's just so clear this is a labor of love from every single person involved in the project, all the way from the beginning to the very end. Uh, so I want to know what some of your favorite bits of uh, of visuals or sound or what were your favorite design elements of this movie? Because for me it's the costumes.
0: So I know that she's going to talk a little bit more about my specific favorite, but to give a shout out to another thing we got, it has to be the hair and makeup choices like they're so distinctive, they're so stylistic throughout the movie, whether it's on joy or the barrage of other characters that you meet, maybe just first seen that pop up throughout the film, but I I just want to touch on like the score because we talked about this last week, and I will say I noticed it more this time, not to the point of what everyone else seems to be getting with it, where it's like clearly they're like they're number one for the year for either the song or the score. But I at least got the nomination. and To me, it's not like a completely out of left field type of thing. But I'm gonna hand it over to you because she's gonna talk about my actual favorite thing about the movie.
1: Well. Off the bat and throughout the whole movie, I was just really impressed by all the different looks they gave Joy's character. That was so creative and so colorful, and I saw things on her that, you know, it wasn't copying Lady Gaga or anything like that. It was unique and different and new, but I have to say my heart was really lost to the old-fashioned mechanical raccoon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of absurd uh how ridiculous it was and how um old-fashioned it was but i think that's what made it so memorable and so funny and almost heartwarming because the uh chef loved his little raccoon
0: (laughs) i mean raccoonie had all of our hearts and um to uh back back on that yeah the costume work was great on joy there's just so many memorable stuff and i love how our oscar for best costume design is going to come down to who has the better elvis costume Joe dupaki or elvis himself
2: oh it's it's jobu dupaki for sure in my mind at least um but yeah i mean you guys mentioned some great stuff i guess i also i realized i i forgot to mention before the visual effects which i love and it's so scrappy and so ugh creative that's what it all comes down to they you can tell they might not have had the most money for all of these things but they sure had the best spirit (laughs) they sure had the most heart you know if if any movie deserves an award for team spirit it's this one you can tell everyone just loves what they're doing
0: you can call it a small movie with a big heart
2: it is a small movie with a big heart and a narrative around this movie all year i mean To Leslie and Andrea Riceboro, they have the narrative for being a small movie with a big heart, but the narrative around everything ever all at once this year is that no one has ever seen a movie like this before. And, like you said, we might never see a movie like this again. But I do want to ask, do you guys think that we will see more films like this? Uh, And do you think that this could change Hollywood or the way that Hollywood looks in the future?
1: I don't think it'll change Hollywood, but I do think there's probably going to be some copycats. You might see something thrown into one of these Spider Man multiverse movies that <laughs> reminds you of this.
0: Yeah. And I guess to backpack on that, like, as I mentioned before, I think this is going to change kind of how films will be made, but there'll never be a film like it. Like, how to use your very small budget to then make the most out of it. Like you're mentioning that, even though they didn't have the money for the. Top tier visual effects—they still put everything in there, like kind of like how like Jaws or like the Sixth Sense changed filmmaking. While there was never another one of those movies, there's people trying to do that type of style, and I feel like that's gonna be what we'll see with everything ever all at once here in the coming years.
2: I I'd say that's true. I mean, one thing I would say is that I think that this has shown that um, being really weird and really creative and really out there is acceptable and audiences will respond to that by you know giving their money to the movie so i would say i think we'll see some more very odd movies out there like you said copycats Uh, but also i think that in hollywood for a very long time there's been this idea that uh, making a movie with asian leads is not profitable and that no one wants to see that And that's been changing over the past few years. We got Shang-Chi, we got Crazy Rich Asians, but I think that this might be the the final step that's needed to show that uh, a movie with Asian leads can be a huge box office success and can win a ton of awards, and that people want to see Michelle Yeoh doing amazing, amazing things. Now, it's obvious that the early believers who said that this movie would be way too weird for Hollywood, are wrong. This is absolutely dominating the Oscar season this year in a way that I don't think has happened since Return of the King. It's that level of movie. You know, if this was the 90s, this is Titanic level for for Oscar success. So... Obviously, we didn't know that this was going to have the success that it did with Academy members. Why do you guys think that this movie has connected so well with voters, as well as the general audience?
0: At least for me, I've watched this movie now uh, with four different people, and each person's reason for why they love it is all different. I've mentioned mine before. My friend Ashlyn loved it because of its humor. My friend Marcus loved it because of its dramatic moments. My granddad called it like the best movie he's ever seen, which... It's a pretty big, a pretty big tale because he doesn't watch it's a lot a of movies. Statement. And when he does, like that's just a, a big statement. And well, my grandma, showed, she's sitting next to me. So I'm just let her say why she thinks this can I do with her.
1: Well, I think maybe we just needed something that was really fun and more happy than sad and uh, just totally fun. I think with COVID and the war in the Ukraine, all of these neg- negative things going on, it was just fun. On to sit and watch that movie and i think mm-hmm. that's the same for people of every age
2: i have to agree with you i mean something that i definitely see in this movie is that it shows the goodness in humanity and the goodness in people and gives us a choice to either sit here and see the bad or to be Waymond, you know or to just be a rock it gives us so many choices and says life is what you make it And it might not have much meaning but that means you can do anything and i think that is such a beautiful message but i would also say something that i've been thinking all year long and why i've been predicting it for so long is that this movie feels like the type of movie that i think every filmmaker has always wanted to make but has never been brave enough to it feels like the type of dream movie that everyone says oh if if a studio would just give me a blank check this is the type of movie i'd make and I think so many people connect with it because they see that sort of youthful energy, that sort of um, drive to do something crazy and unique and tear everything down and build it from from scratch. I think a lot of filmmakers and Academy voters really see something special in that. Um, and like you said, I, I mean, CODA last year also, I would say won the Oscar because people just want something that makes them feel good. There's so many things that are so negative in the world right now. And it's so nice to go to a movie theater and see something that makes you smile, that makes you cry, but not sad tears, makes you cry very feel good tears. And a movie like Everything Ever All At Once, it feels good. So the last question I wanna ask about this movie is, what Oscars do we think that this could win? Because it's definitely winning Uh, a solid handful maybe the most that we've seen in over a decade what do we think it's going for because i'm saying best picture i'm locking it in it's winning best picture well i
0: owe you your flowers because yes it's going to win best picture unless a massive upset happens because like you can even point to like the recent years when an upset has happened look at la la land look at roma uh those movies had a clear number two there is no clear number two right now so i think it's taking picture it's pairing that with director supporting actor and that's its floor then it has a strong chance to win actress editing and screenplay because specifically on this time around there's just so many quotables from this movie that i feel like really help elevate it over banshees because like the one that sticks with me the most was Uh, As the quote Wayman gives actually near the end of the film when he's looking dashing, as you said before, in his nice suit. (laughs) But when he says, in another life, I would have just really liked to do laundry and taxes with you. And that just really speaks to, I think, his character. I think that should be his Oscar clip that they use when they're about to present him with the award. So I think screenplay, I think I'm switching over to screenplay for my personal predictions. And then I think if it really overperforms, Jamie Lee and supporting actress or even score could come along with it.
2: What about costumes, Dylan?
0: I'm I'm still rocking with uh, with the King of Rock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of with Dylan. I think it's going to win Best Film and probably Director and I, uh, leading actress and probably supporting actress and definitely supporting actor. Um, I think that he could have even been nominated as a lead actor, but he would have had a lot more competition, of course. I think the editing was what really caught my eye how they just kept piecing these things together and it was so fluid and and fun to watch um but you know i do want to remind you guys about power of the dog it was supposed to win everything last year and it i think it got supporting actor it just got director oh it got directors Okay. Mm-hmm. I knew it didn't, it did not perform the way they thought it was. So if there's going to be a sleeper movie this year, one that people are not expecting to be up in there, I think it would be the, the Banshees of. In Yes. What he said. Um, yeah. it was just to me, more of the type of movie that the Academy likes because it was so quirky and artsy and deep. It was very mm-hmm. deep. So if if there's a sleeper, I think that might be it.
2: I would have to agree with you, but I guess the difference is I know I was predicting Coda uh, when it came around to the Oscars. And the reason was at this time, we'd already seen The Power of the Dog lose a couple of awards to Coda, mm-hmm. uh, which Everything Ever All at Once has won this year. So... At this point, so far, Banshees hasn't been able to beat everything overall all at once yet. But we'll see. I mean, All Quiet on the Western Front also has won some big awards. But um, I guess I'm, I'm going to go with what Dylan said earlier. There is not a very clear second choice, right? In, in previous years, last year, it was the Power of the Dog, and Coda was right there. As well as, you know, uh, there's Parasite in 1917, Green Book, and Roma, and you know, there's usually a second place movie. Uh, it makes me think right now of Nomad Land, because that year, I, I don't think that there was a very clear second choice.
0: Yeah, I would have to agree. And I think with Land, no one knew who second was until after the awards show. Then clearly it was the father with winning actor and winning adapted screenplay. But I guess uh, to wrap us up here, uh, any final thoughts?
2: No, I'm just so glad to have you on the show and to hear that you really loved this movie because uh, I, I just love seeing people share the love for this film. It's such a feel good movie. I love it. And thank well, you for coming. Um-
1: I am a child of the '70s, and we all rocked quite a bit. So that scene with the rocks and the subtitles, talking <laughs> about the meaning of life on top of the hill, what's not to love?
0: We are continuing our best picture revisiting series with *The One, The Only L*. For today, specifically, we're talking about one of my favorite movies, nominated for best picture this year, which I know. A lot of people don't feel that same type of enjoyment. But this was my third watch of Elvis, my first since the second week of its theatrical release, and to me, it still holds strong. This film is directed by Baz Luhrmann. You know what that means? It has a ton of style. What if it's in the film's editing, cinematography, costumes, hair and makeup, sound design? You know, I could just keep listing them on and on and on. But the one that's most impactful to me is the one, the only, Austin Butler's magnificent performance, which to me is so charismatic. But since we have a guest... Nini, who's my grandma, I'm going to let her talk about just what she loved about Elvis because she also rewatched this with me this week for her second viewing. So what would you think about it?
1: Well, the, the first time, th- this is one of two movies that I've seen twice that are in the best film category. And the first time I watched it, I was a little distracted by the Priscilla character because she just didn't look anything like Priscilla Presley, um, where... The Elvis character and his parents were pretty spot on. Um, Parker Colonel Parker's character was a little annoying too, but on the second watch, I was kind of over that and paid more attention to the just beauty of the movie. And Elvis was such an icon. I was a little young to appreciate it at the time, but I was around. But um, I didn't see a lot of shows that showed him moving the way he did in this movie, so now I really understand why they called him Elvis the Pelvis.
0: I mean, <laughs> I, I I dug the snow job that Tom Parker did, and I really wanted to hear the Santa Claus. But Matt, what did you think about Elvis this time around? Were you really excited to hear um, Elvis sing the Santa Claus? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: well, the first time I watched Elvis, I I really liked it. And I still really like it. This is the first time I've rewatched it. And my thoughts haven't really changed. There's some things that I liked the first time around that I like even more this time, like the cinematography, the costumes, the sound design, which I think is brilliant. I, I just love the soundtrack of this movie. But honestly, it hasn't really moved up or moved down. Just all my feelings on... Everything here whether positive or slightly negative. They've all just been amplified So what I liked about it the first time I like more about it this time What I didn't like it about what I didn't like about it the first time I liked a little bit less this time But still I really like this it might be near the bottom of my best picture lineup if I were to rank them
0: well, as I mentioned before, this movie's main focus is on its lead star making performance from I'm going to butcher the the Tom Parker voice, but my boy, Austin <laughs> Butler. <laughs> Cuz that's what I really like about this effort. movie. I, I, hey, that's that's what higher grade people would give than his performance itself. But uh I've seen <laughs> that online not just the Colonel's performance is divisive, but Austin Butler's is and to me that doesn't really make sense. I fell head over heels for this performance, but I know Matt, you're not as head over heels. Ooh. I'll talk a little bit more about why nice I reference. love this. <laughs> why I love this so much <laughs> a little bit later, but for you just overall, what were your thoughts on Butler's take on the King of Rock?
2: So I'm going to start this off by saying I don't dislike Austin Butler in this movie at all. Uh, so I just want to say that up front because I might sound a little bit negative, but I, I don't feel negative about the performance. I just don't, I guess my thoughts on Austin Butler's work in this film is he's clearly put in a ton of work, he's clearly got the impression down, he has the movement down, the voice down, there's so much work that has gone into the impression. But for me, one of my pet peeves at the Oscars is that they really like giving impressions awards. They love giving, they shower Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury in awards. And yes, it's a good impression. But to me, and this is Rami Malek, I don't see any life in that character. I just see an impression. I see a lot more life in Austin Butler's character. But that said, it still feels much more like an impression to me than it does a a full realized performance.
0: It does. While I disagree, I'll dive into my personal thinkings on that, and a later question here, but flipping it over to someone who I think liked the performance more to my level than to your level. <laughs> uh, what did you think about Austin Butler's performance?
1: Well, I, I loved it. I thought he looked like Elvis, he moved like Elvis, he had his man- mannerisms, and he, he sounded just like Elvis. Um, especially for me, uh, the, the part that showed the 1968 TV special, um he looked just like him and he, he he seemed just like him if you squinted you would think it was him and um i was 11 years old when that was on television and i actually did see it and the things i remember the most were his black leather suit and sitting in the middle of that small group with his guitar because that's an image that I never forgot. I don't remember what he sang or whether he had dancers or any of that stuff. I just remember him sitting there with his guitar. And at that same time, there was a lady across the street from me that made scrapbooks, and she had two loves of her life. One was Tom Jones, and the other was Elvis. And she Probably introduced him to me more than anyone else as a singer. You know, I'd seen a lot of those movies, but not actually his singing.
0: Yeah, and I guess backpacking off that a little bit to, I guess, tease my more love for this performance is... Without him nailing all of like, as you mentioned, Matt, it does seem like an impression at times. But if you don't nail the impression, the rest of the movie doesn't work. But like I mentioned, I'll dive into that a little bit here later. But what I want to talk about first, you mentioned more of how scenes feel like more like a trailer than a movie. But to me, that's the Baz Luhrmann special. We all have a history with him. He seems to be a director (laughs) that you either love or... Or you're really against. And um, I mean, he has the spectacular, spectacular of the musical Moulin Rouge seems to be everyone's favorite. However, I love what he can add his like artistic flair into previously known stories or icons like as we see with the flair in Romeo and Juliet, modernizing the great Gatsby and now combining all those aspects into Elvis. So, Nini, you've watched a fair share of Baz Luhrmann's movies and you just saw Elvis for the second time. What about his style really just jumps out to you?
1: Well, I'm not as adept at analyzing angles and camera shots and all of the film speak jargon, but I just love the flow of the sequences when Elvis was shown at different ages and in different settings and the young boy running across the field to the revival and going back to the older man singing while Elvis was also singing, That's All Right. The older man was singing it very slowly and you saw some visuals of the other people that were in the club. I loved that stuff. I I think the things that you feel like were like trailers are the things that I liked the most. (laughs) Um, I thought it was very artistic and it, it brought me a lot of pleasure.
0: Yes, like a backpacking off of that a little bit, just because I I think it's a running gag here on the show that I use the word spectacular, or bombastic, but I, that's really how you oh, how you describe bombastic. That's how you describe Baz Luhrmann. That's, that's his word. That's
2: your number one word. That's I mean, your word.
0: I mean, that's <laughs> the Baz Luhrmann word as well. Because like as she that's was true. mentioning, all all of that style, it's all ramped up to ten, where it's like as you mentioned before a trailer, but that's just the feel yeah. of the whole movie and whether it is the big production sets or the mixing of the sound design of the songs, like the that's all right with Elvis and that's all right with the uh, Soulful Singer and the revival all mixing in that one. You get this whole big setup, big, big set scene all mixing in at one time. And you're just like, I'm digging this. I'm loving this. But we both just rambled on about our love of Baz Lerman and his style. But what about you? I, I know that you're a little bit more mixed with Baz.
2: Yeah, I, I like Baz. I think that here's my hot take that uh, someone probably will get mad at me for. <laughs> I think that Baz Lerman is the late 90s version of what the Daniels are right now with everything ever all at once. Okay. And what that is is something I'm going to dub ADHD cinema. <laughs> it's just uh, it's dialed up to 11 all over the place, it moves so fast that you can barely keep up with what's going on, it's just an image here, image here, image here I once read Baz Luhrmann say that as crazy as the movies he makes are they're only 30% as crazy as he'd like them to be he wants them to be so much more but people have to pull him back and go whoa boy, whoa Baz stop that right now, you can't go that far Um, and I think that that can be both incredibly fun with his movies and sometimes it can be a little bit tiring. It can be a little bit uh, hard to follow along and it can give a little bit of a headache. I didn't feel that with Elvis though. I definitely, the first time I watched Moulin Rouge, I had a headache. That was one that I liked much better the second time when I watched it. Same. But, uh, but with Elvis, you know, overall... I, as much as I just criticized that tr- movie trailer style of editing where everything flies by so fast, it's still fun. It keeps the energy up. Uh, and while I think it kind of made it hard for me to fall in love with Austin Butler's performance, it was the style of the movie, and I could get on board with that. And I had a lot of fun with it. It made it very visually flashy, very fun to watch. And... I think one of you said it, but there's never a dull moment here.
0: I love that take of like the studio has to hold Baz back because I feel like if he had his own way of what this movie would be, it's that opening ten minutes where it feels very comic book ish, like where it's very yeah, highly edited, highly cinematography, all that stuff all at once. And I feel like that's what his full movie would be. But clearly you can't do that for two hours and forty minutes, so they they had to stop him. But <laughs> On the topic of this film style, I guess there's just so many technical aspects here, so I would love to hear what both of y'all's favorites were, because for me, on like previous viewings, I just adored so much, but on this one, I really like honed in on the cinematography, just because I was a big topic of debate once I got the nomination this year, but... I just love how it changes its colors, its lighting, its aspect ratios and grading depending on like what era and what setting that you're currently in. It feels so engrossed and it feels like this could be actual footage of Elvis like she had mentioned before. Like if you squint, you could probably not tell who this is supposed to be. And for me, the biggest example of this would be on that U.S. tour that occurs during his uh, year one and year two of Vegas residency where there's moments where I'm like, is this – a clip of butler or is this actual elvis like running out of the stadium or his back on the stadium like the specific angles like his nose looks bigger than what it is on butler like is that the actual elvis but to me it was just so eye-popping like right off the bat as i mentioned before with that opening sequence and uh my one knock would be something that you did mention before i i feel like the editing the cinematography don't really allow each other to shine it cuts too quick for you to really get a feel for that specific scene like this time watching around even though i've said numerous times on the show before the vegas residency when he does suspicious minds is my favorite scene maybe of the full year mm-hmm. but in this sequence i'm like just just stay with him for a few more seconds so i can see his full movement instead of cutting away to show it from like four different angles but um I just rambled on a long ways there, but Matt, I know that we've been polar opposites with its cinematography nomination. I've said it should win in this lineup. I know that you don't think that. So I would love to hear what technical aspect grabbed you the most since I just rambled on for like three minutes about its cinematography.
2: Well, I actually turned around a little bit on nice. this watch. I really liked the cinematography this time. It might not be my favorite in the category, but I have it above Empire of Light now, which you'll be very happy yeah. to hear. But I think that... All five of the cinematography nominees, including Elvis, including Empire of Light, I think they're all very well done in their own ways. I really like the work on all of them, and I think uh, Mandy Walker's work on the cinematography here is excellent, excellent, excellent. But I do agree with you. I think maybe the editing did a disservice to it by cutting so fast around and not allowing you to see the glamorous lighting. Uh, Something I really like about this movie is how Baz Luhrmann constantly makes the comparison that Elvis, he grew up worshipping superheroes, so he became one. I love that, and, and the cinematography, I think, goes along with that. It makes it feel like you're watching a superhero movie, not just a, a music biopic. Uh, but that kind of goes towards my favorite tech element of this movie, which would be the sound. The sound, the sound, the sound... I love the way that the soundtrack weaves in and out of um, very modern sounding instruments. It uses a lot of 808s and digital music, uh, drumming and bass, and it mixes that in with Austin Butler and Elvis Presley's vocals. I think that's incredible. It reminds me of Baz Luhrmann did something with his version of The Great Gatsby back in 2013, where. His vision for that movie was that in the 1920s, jazz was exciting, it was dangerous, it was fresh, and it got people dancing. It got people moving and excited because no one had ever heard anything like it at the time. But if you play 1920s jazz for a modern audience, they're going to think, oh, it's so cute and classic, it's so old-timey. But that's not what it felt like in the 1920s. And similarly with Elvis, if you just play Elvis's music now, people will go, "Oh, that's fun. It's cute. It's old-fashioned." But that's not what it felt like at the time. This music was new. It was fresh. It was exciting. It got the people going. And so what I love that he does here is that the music, it's not just Elvis. It's not just we're going to play suspicious minds. We're going to play uh, Hound Dog or That's All Right it's we're going to mix that in with modern music so that people understand the feeling in the 1950s of how people uh, felt when they heard this music for the very first time. It works so much better here than it did in The Great Gatsby. And that's my favorite thing about this movie by far. The sound work is incredible. They cannot get enough praise
1: for that. I really like the flow of the scenes, and I like the way they brought back little clips of earlier scenes, because I enjoyed them the first time, mm-hmm. I enjoyed them the second time. <laughs> uh, you know, the whole story of Elvis is so long, and there's so much to tell. There's been different movies about him. Kurt, Kirk, uh, Kurt Russell played him once. Um, There was a movie called Elvis and the Beauty Queen. There was also a television series, a uh, temporary what do you call it? Television series and
2: a mini series.
1: Mini series. Thank you very much. I I forget many many words, Um, but you know there there's too much to tell in a couple of hours. So I think that's why they zipped around a little bit and they definitely Mm -hmm. left out a lot of things and glossed over some others but i just thought it was pretty to watch i I loved the Mm -hmm. colors of the pink suits he wore early in the movie and the Mm. downtown scenes of uh beale street the colors and Mm -hmm. lights and the cars the way the cars looked i just really thought it was a, a very visually nice movie
0: we talked about baz's style we talked about butler's leading role but now let's dive into the script because this is where a lot of criticism comes from the film's naysayers because they say it's like a wikipedia biopic it doesn't dive deep into the person himself it glosses over the character's life and why do you have the choice of tom hanks colonel tom parker being the film's narrator however for me We're never going to really get a 100% and somewhat negative portrayal of one of these big superstars. I mean, you see Bohemian Rhapsody, you see Rocketman, you see Judy, and you most recently see I Want to Dance with Somebody. They will always be vehicles to promote the artist and help sell more records. And I believe that this film is an improvement on all those because of the aforementioned visual and artistic styles it uses to tell this Wikipedia biopic. As someone who honestly did not know much about Elvis before watching this movie, I felt like I learned a lot. I wanted to go learn more. I sought out some Elvis tunes, and I guess you could say I caught the Elvis fever for a little bit. So in my eyes, the film accomplished its goals in like soaring fashion. And while I do see the negative points of telling this story from the Colonel's perspective, I like it how it's from him. Because, like, I mean, he's the snowman. He's got to give us the snow job. He builds Elvis up to be a superhero, as Matt mentioned earlier on. And once we get that first performance on the hayride, we really see firsthand, like, hey, this isn't just a snow job. Like This is for real. He is bigger than life. He commands that stage. And if that scene doesn't work, we don't buy into this wave of passion for the singer for the rest of the film. And that also goes to Butler's performance. If he's not able to encapsulate this icon and nail the mannerisms, as you mentioned before, and feel like you can connect to them, maybe not as deep as some people would like, but still like get a connection for this character where it's not just like Rami Malek, which is like, hey, he can walk like him. At least Austin Butler can sing like him, but uh, if uh, you don't, yeah, like I said, if you don't buy the performance, like this would just be a major like flop. Like you wouldn't believe it, and then you would sit there for two hours and forty minutes. Like why did I just waste my time? But as someone who does know the story of Elvis and does enjoy his music, and someone who is invested in the character, Nini, what did you think of just the way they decided to showcase the story of Elvis Presley?
1: Well, I think I mentioned before that they definitely skipped some things and glossed over some things that were a little strange about Elvis, like him talking Priscilla's parents into letting him take her as a 14- or 15-year-old girl to live with him in Graceland, Um, and and them going along with it. and, you know, there there were some other things. He cheated on her a lot with a lot of actresses. They did show some of the cheating, but not all of it. Uh, but what they did was show a beautiful man in a beautiful movie depicting a legend. Um, and they did that part so well. I think if they would have added in some of those strange things, it, it would have taken away from the legend part of it and, and the good things about Albus. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, to your point there, there's another movie coming out this year called Priscilla, which is meant to focus on Priscilla's side of the story. And it's very likely we'll probably hear a little bit more about some of the manipulation and grooming and the cheating and the mm-hmm. less favorable side of Elvis. We're, we're probably going to see a bit of that in, in this upcoming movie.
0: Before we dive into Oscar of prospects, Elvis is a long movie. I've mentioned it a few times it clocks in at just under two hours and 40 minutes, but to me it flies by and that's for like a multiple different reasons. Uh, I think there's so many memorable and outstanding sequences in this film that would all be up there with my favorites of the year, but to rattle a few off the whole, that's our right mix at the beginning of the film with Elvis, a uh, younger version of Elvis at church and a big boy cut-ups tradition that Nini had mentioned before. The 68 comeback special, I think on this viewing, may have been my favorite, just how... I think that's the scene that best encapsulates all like, the highlights of this movie. And then um, there's the whole final sequence as well of where Elvis is cl- clearly on his deathbed but still giving out one last impactful performance where they cut between austin butler and the actual elvis itself but i just want to focus on one here and that would be the Vegas residency that i've talked about multiple times and i feel like this is where uh the love of baz's filmmaking and his direct like directorial style is just really the shine it's so immersive with it's sound design you feel like you're there in person the production design i think gets to show off the most in this scene with how grand it is and This is where a scene where you do get a little bit more extra time to just really take in like, hey, this is a big place. And there's only one man who can open this place up. And that is Elvis himself. The editing, cinematography, and costumes are all flashy as well with its colors, pacing, and just the scale I keep talking about. But as mentioned before, this movie does not work without Austin Butler. He just commands Elvis and brings him back to life. And it all falls on his shoulders. And all those technical elements before, no matter how positive they are even if you cast someone else as butler like not throwing shade but like the priscilla movie that you talked about before i don't know if jacob alorty can do elvis the way austin butler did and that movie could suffer from his performance as elvis whereas here this movie's risen by butler's performance and i just love how physical he is and like you could call this like physical acting 101 but like as mentioned before he nails the mannerisms the body movements the voice and just like moving around like as we still hear with award shows now he still sounds like him and like you can really tell like he put in everything that he needed to be to nail this performance and something that you just do not want to take your eyes away like the casino owner who's like hey we need to keep him on stage as long as we can because he's just what the people want so matt what scene really stood out to you in this most recent viewing
2: i really loved the visual effects work and the way that Baz Luhrmann transitions us from one thing to another uh one of my favorite visual moments that I guess this is a moment that stuck out with me it's not a scene but it's a moment there's a a visual effect shot where the camera swoops over Las Vegas and it goes above a hotel and then the hotel turns into a roulette board Mm -hmm. and it starts spinning around i love that visual it's so creative it's so fun and it really gets us invested in the world of the movie it happens very early into the movie i think when tom parker's saying this is my story and i want to let you know i'm not the bad guy here i'm not the bad guy i just like gambling <laughs> um and that moment helps establish just how bombastic to use your word this is going to be but otherwise you know positive and negative there's there's no one scene in particular that stuck in my head
1: well there was one for me when i read this question this scene came to me right away it's a really fleeting moment um but it was when Elvis and Priscilla were in her upstairs room in Germany and he was wearing his uniform and he he looked into her eyes and the way he looked at her was the way every wo- woman wants a man to look at her. His eyes were g- glossy. I'm not sure how he did it because it looked genuine and that moment really stuck with me and like i said it was just a s- couple seconds
0: well that's the power of the austin butler Riz that will take him all the way to a best actor win because talking about <laughs> he the seems As- like
2: such a nice young man uh, like I sorry I don't mean to interrupt oh, you're but good. Austin Butler seems so lovely. Did you see at the SAG Awards the way that he he kept standing up to to help every single person up to get on that stage? What a nice, lovely person he seems to be. He just seems to be the nicest person in any room
0: i agree and that's one reason i really like him and that's one reason i've been kind of like championing him all season like hey we need to get this man the award because looking at oscar chances elvis has had strong all season long i'm pretty sure this was the either first or second movie that we talked about here on the show itself and it's managed to get it's all the way to best picture jurassic world was number one. Oh wow great movie <laughs> but it uh managed to get all the way to best picture here with elvis with seven other nominations so Matt, this is something that you and I have talked about at various different points of the season. What does this look like in the Oscar race? Because probably, unless something crazy happens with a preferential ballot, this is not winning picture.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, even if something crazy happens with the preferential ballot, I don't think Elvis would be the one to triumph from that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, I mean, we talked about it on our Everything Ever All at Once discussion. It would probably be Banshees that would, overcome so I, I don't see Elvis really having that chance but you've been saying all year long ever since our first review Austin Butler is going to win the Oscar for this that's probably the biggest one that I mean that's still a tough race I think because we've got Brendan Frazier who is seemingly very strong so but I, I still think Austin Butler will probably win otherwise this is winning the makeup award undoubtedly no question in my mind this will win the makeup award and outside of that uh it's likely to win costumes but i'm starting to lean towards everything everywhere all at once in that category
0: that's fair enough i'm i'm just still going to stick with costumes for elvis in addition to the two other that you mentioned because we, we talked about this on our review we talked about this many times catherine martin baz lerman they do a movie she's winning one If not two and production design doesn't seem very likely because Babylon is just the Hollywood movie that never can lose at the Oscars. So um, I'm going with three awards, costumes, hair and makeup, Austin Butler. And I know I've said before cinematography, but I think I'm going to switch to all quiet just because it is stronger after that BAFTA performance. But I would say Mm -hmm. it's floor is two with makeup and Butler and it's ceiling is four And somehow it still does manage to get cinematography, but I'm not going to predict that.
2: Rather than cinematography, I'd say it could win editing or sound, but not both, but it could win one of those.
0: Fair enough. What about you?
1: Well, I really think Austin Butler should win for for lead actor. Um, I think for editing, I'd have to go with everything, everywhere, all at once, because... That was some tricky work, and it just kept me glued to the screen. Um, I I can't really say what other awards Elvis could win because I think everything, everywhere, all at once is just going to win so many, but I think Austin Butler should definitely win. He has my heart.
0: Mine, too. It it just runs in the family.
2: (laughs) It's... it's you got that Elvis love in the blood, right there, right?
0: One hundred percent. But you guys for, should
2: get those buttons.
0: Yeah, the I love Elvis. I love Elvis, and you know what? We'll we'll support the Colonel. We'll give him some extra bucks. We'll give I hate Elvis, and I can get them out to people on our <laughs> server.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's some people who really hate Elvis out there, uh, not the artist, but the movie. So, yeah. uh, I, but I'm glad that we all like this movie i mean you guys definitely like it much more than i do but i still really like this movie and i i don't want to seem like i'm negative on this i think it's very well done
0: we have a lot to go over because over the weekend two major precursors occurred and i think they pretty much made you feel pretty well mad didn't they
2: oh ooh. uh can, can we pull up a clip of me in may on our first episode saying everything ever all at once is going to win best picture this year and can here we pull is. up the clip let's pull up that clip very first episode you can go back you can find it uh either on youtube on spotify wherever uh it's there i've been saying all along and i feel so vindicated i feel so uh i, I mean people told me i was insane people told me i was crazy they told me i was nuts but here we are here we are it's a sweep it's a runaway front runner uh, but how how are you feeling about that? I mean, I mean, you, for you the record, I never called you while. crazy.
0: I was just very skeptical. i No,
2: you didn't call me crazy. Yes, Other a lot of me people crazy. did.
0: I people do also want to say, me crazy. Yeah, I do want to say, I'm pretty sure. Like, obviously, we're no major pundit, but I'm pretty sure you were one of the very first like predictors to say this is going to win Best Picture. Because there's maybe some random people on the internet here or there, but no one like outside of like a, a Discord form or a Reddit form, like on a publication sort of thing. Like I I don't know, I just think that's very, very cool.
2: Yeah, I, I think I predicted it winning best picture about two or three weeks before Oscar Expert did. And that's not saying I influenced them at all. Mm-hmm. I didn't. But um you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was ahead of the curve. I saw some people on Reddit definitely saying it could happen. But um, yeah, I just went in with full conviction and was like, this is gonna happen. And uh, hopefully I can call that for next year too. I really hope so. I mean, this year I, I feel like I might've gotten really lucky, but you know, I think my, my theory around first time nominees winning, true. I think, I think it might hold up. I think it might hold water.
0: So speaking of all that though, You may be like, oh, what did Everything Everywhere win to make you feel so confident that's winning Best Picture now? Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. Everyone was saying it can't win on a preferential ballot. It's too divisive. Too many people are putting that number 10, but it won a preferential ballot at PGA. It beat Maverick. Mm
2: -hmm. It beat Maverick. It beat Banshees. It beat Tar. It beat Fablemans. It beat every other movie that people have been saying is going to stand in its way on a preferential ballot. So... I think that this just dispels all of the the ideas that people have had saying that once we get to the industry, we're going to see that they don't like it. Clearly, the industry loves it above everyone else. The industry is just showering it in awards. And with the PGA here, honestly, this is a showing that... The film has populist appeal as well as artistic appeal because we've seen at some of these other ceremonies especially with critics it's really gone over well and now we see the most populist branch goes for it the branch that went with coda uh with 1917 with green book all of these films led to uh to i'm not even going to say that uh, just cut it at green book <laughs> there
0: but yeah, I mean, I don't know. PGA, I always felt like it was its biggest hurdle. We'll dive into the sag a little bit, but PGA was the, the final test for me. If it wins here, it's winning picture. If it doesn't win here, it still has a pretty good shot at winning picture. It's just, you know, a little doubt can be cast into the mind. But on top of everything, everywhere yeah. winning the PGA for picture, Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio wins animated and Novalni wins documentary, which I think pretty much just solidifies both of those races as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely solidified. I mean, Pinocchio has been solidified. It also won the Annie Award mm-hmm. on the weekend uh which Marcel Deschault also won a bunch of Annie Awards, but that's in the indie category where it's not competing against any of the other nominees whereas in the studio category Pinocchio is competing against three of the other nominees. There's four nominees in that category from the Oscars. So Pinocchio's win shows, yep, it has that strength. Puss in Boots is not going to happen. It's not coming up from behind. Pinocchio has swept the season. And Navalny, we might see a final possible weakness at the ACE Eddie Awards, the Editing Guild, where Fire of Love is probably going to win still. I agree. Navalny is really showing that it's incredibly strong with a very specific type of voter at the BAFTAs, at the PGA. It's a political vote. It is a political vote. You are voting t- for it to show that you stand against Putin. That's that's what it is in, in winning this. I think it's a great film too, but ultimately it's a political pick. Um, ACE might go for Fire of Love because I don't think they care about the politics. They'll just like the archive footage editing. But yeah. I mean, I think it's locked up for the Oscars.
0: I mean, you and I have both been saying for the longest that if Navalny gets nominated, it's winning. Its hurdle was the nomination, and that's where, like, yeah. earlier in the season, we were like, oh, maybe it's at number six in our rankings, maybe it's at number five. We just don't know if it's getting in while there's other stuff like Fire or Love or yeah. All the Beauty or All that Breeze. I was like, yeah, this is 100% getting in, and now the fact that it mm-hmm. made that nomination,
2: it's it's going all the way. By the end, I don't even think the nomination was the hurdle I think it was the shortlist was the hurdle. And the shortlist was only the hurdle because our thought process was that because this came out in March of last year, April, March or April of last Mm -hmm. year, it had been out for a very long time and it had a lot of buzz when it came out. Our argument around Navalny maybe not making it and not winning was that we thought it might peak too early, but it hadn't even begun to peak. It still hasn't peaked, you know, it's still, it's still climbing. So, uh, ultimately that was our whole argument was, is the movie going to be forgotten about? Is it releasing too early? And ultimately, you know what this year has proved to me? There's no such thing as too early. The Oscar season is dead in the age of streaming. I believe, I believe everything ever all at once and CODA have put, the nail in the coffin that you don't need to release at the end of the year because no one's gonna see your movie in theaters anyways i it's i agree just the with fact that. Of the matter no one's gonna see it in theaters so
0: i would say everything everywhere proves that more than coda i still think coda was a little bit of like the recovery from the lockdown and the pandemic and everything schedules were a little weird but this year yeah normal theatrical schedule no hiccups anywhere along the lines we're most likely gonna see our best picture nominee come out nearly a or have its world premiere nearly a year before the awards ceremony date which is just absolutely crazy and i mean yeah. even if everything everywhere didn't win the pga there would be this looming doubt of like would it win the oscar we don't really know the biggest thing for me at least these last few weeks ever since i switched over with you to predict it to win best picture about i guess two months ago after i realized yeah avatar is not but i still just want to hold on to it for as long as i could was there's no real second place option and with sag we really see there is no second place option It's everything, Mm -hmm. everywhere, all at once, all the way up here, and your next option's all the way completely out of the screen, because at SAG...
2: It's probably Banshees, probably? Maybe,
0: maybe, but at SAG, everything, everywhere, all at once won every award that it could have done. It broke a record. It tied the record for most nominations, but now it owns the record for most wins.
2: Which I think is, is fantastic, and it shows the outpouring of love for this movie, Something interesting that I found online was a statistic that showed that the last time a film had won the PGA, SAG Ensemble, the WGA, and the DGA was Argo in 2012. That's the last time that that has happened. It's been a while. And and we're going to see that because WGA is locked for everything everywhere. Locked. But I think it just shows the outpouring of respect and love for this movie, how it's doing something different, how it's pushing the medium, how it is bringing these older performers who haven't really had a chance to to shine, and giving them the role of a lifetime uh, in in a movie that would typically be reserved for much younger performers. Mm-hmm. I think that the the outpouring of love at SAG. Is really an outpouring of love for Jamie Lee Curtis, for Michelle Yeoh, for Kiwi Kwan, all respected veterans of the industry who don't really get a lot of chances. I think actors love the narrative around this film so much, uh, and I mean, we'll we'll get into some of the surprises of the night. But I just got to say, when the show started up and Jamie Lee Curtis started talking. And the crowd just erupted in cheers, uh, and she had to wait for, like, 15 seconds before she could give her I'm an actor speech. In that moment, I went, oh, my God. Is she winning? Is she going to—they love her. Yeah. They love her. Actors love her.
0: I mean— Months ago, when we first started to do our SAG talks, we are like, okay, there's one thing you can lock up for SAG, that's everything I've rolled out once is winning ensemble. It fits the, the yeah. bill of what their recent winners have been. It's already a big movie, and even more so than like four months ago. It's the front runner. Of course it's going to win Ensemble. And we made another take then that we didn't really stick to, and no one really did, because I saw this was a pretty – I don't want to say popular take, but a more common take then than it was even, like, 12, 24 hours ago. And that was Jamie Lee's probably winning SAG, because, like you said, people love her. This is an awards body where they could, and I think when she lost the globe, people kind of just dropped that. Like, okay, she's not going to win anything. And As we saw, yeah. just like you mentioned, they just really, really love her. They adore her. She's the champion for like not the champion for the movie itself but for the marketing oh sh- of no, this she film. is and she totally it's... is the
2: champion of the movie
0: and not not this... meaning
2: she's the number one
0: yeah but like just the outward of love for her just filled in right here as we saw like you mentioned starting off the night with that loud cheer this was the first film acting award that they gave out so they really just set the ball running for this movie to go on and win all four of its nominations because i feel like we can kind of talk about all of them right here because they kind of fit together oh, yeah. supporting actress for curtis Supporting actor for Kwan, lead actress for Yo, and ensemble for the whole cast.
2: The acceptance speeches that they gave, I think, are the biggest reason why this film will continue to win in the following weeks. Every single one of their speeches just showed, uh, they, they did the right thing. They really talked about the narrative of this film. They talked about how important it is uh, on just a diversity and inclusion uh, level right you you get Quan talking about how um this award has never gone to an Asian actor. you've got uh, Michelle Yo talking about how her heart wants to explode because she never thought that she'd have an opportunity like this. You've got Jamie Lee Curtis getting the entire audience to chant Michelle Yo and camp like she used her speech to talk about how amazing Michelle Yo is mm-hmm. um. It's, it's just, it's genuinely incredible. Their speeches, I think each of those speeches was so endearing and they said all the right things and it's going to make voters watch those and go, hmm, you know, maybe I, uh, I was torn between Blanchett and Yo, but maybe I will go with Yo. I, I really like what she's saying. So maybe I'll go with Curtis. I didn't know what to do here, but maybe I'll go with her. I love her. I love what she's saying.
0: That's where I was going to continue with this. Obviously, this submits Kwan. Hey, the BAFTA, it was just a misstep. Clearly, the BAFTA just didn't love the movie, as everyone else seems to do. Yo, yeah. I do think now, as we were saying, it's probably like 90-10. I think it's 50-50 now. I think it's a it's a coin flip, and voters are just going to go where they like more. And then, supporting actress. Yeah, I think that Curtis winning here is more of a death blow to Bassett than it is to Condon. So to me, yeah, now... If Everything Everywhere is going to overperform this much, does she come along with the movie now for th- possibly three acting wins? Or does the Oscars do their normal, hey, we still trust BAFTA when everyone else is all over the place and still pull Condon? Because they're – I don't know the exact stat, but I heard this the other day of where, like, a film's more likely to win one award in just supporting actress than it is to win in, like, some other categories for acting. So that could be Banshee's yeah. one win on the night compared to Everything Everywhere, which could – who knows? At one point, we were saying maybe this movie's winning three with picture, maybe it's winning four with picture. It could win six. It could win seven, depending on how far you really want to reach down with like editing and screenplay and stuff like that. Score even. So I don't know. This just really shows to me that hey, it's not just critics who want to shower this movie with every possible award. Because we saw that at um, uh, CCA, and now we're seeing it here with SAG, every possible award it went there. And will the same thing happen at Oscar? Not every award, but a lot of them probably.
2: Yeah, so my take in the Supporting Actress category... Generally, I think it still leans Condon, but I agree this was... It feels like a bit of a death blow for Angela Bassett's campaign. Reason being that if any awards body was going to go overwhelmingly for a Marvel movie, especially a Marvel movie that uh, had previously won awards there uh, for the, the original film, and this is the sequel... SAG was gonna be the one to go for Angela Bassett overall and I think that when people started predicting her they did so thinking she's gonna win SAG she's gonna win SAG that's just a step on the path so yes she has Golden Globe yes she has Critics Choice but you could argue that at least the Critics Choice voted her because they expected her to take a SAG and take it to the Oscars uh the Critics Choice largely votes what they think will win the Oscar, not what they actually want to win the Oscar. That's just a a rule of thumb for the Critics' Choice Awards. So honestly, I think that her not winning the SAG Award shows that the most populist voting body was not overwhelmingly in support of that performance. And instead, they went for their favorite movie, which was Everything Ever All at Once. Ultimately though, the question I ask is, I, I think that BAFTA has traditionally had the greatest correlation because it typically is the week before Oscar voting. It's the last thing on people's minds. Oscar voting opens up on Thursday and SAG is the last thing on people's minds. So I think that that typical three or four a year correlation we get between the BAFTAs and the Oscars. This year I think that the BAFTAs are only gonna get two right. I, I agree. think it'd be really surprising. Really, really surprising. But at the same time I don't think that they're going to get one right or zero right. Uh, Like, I don't think we're going to get a SAG sweep. But the question I have is where where do we get BAFTA and where do we get SAG? And I, I think that I'm leaning SAG for actress and supporting actor and BAFTA for supporting actress and actor. But truly, I could see supporting actress going to Curtis as well.
0: I'm in the same boat as you at the moment, the two and two split with the exact same split you have, but I wouldn't be surprised because they did flip-flop dates this year that SAG gets the three out of four, and with Curtis being that additional one to come along with it because our other main acting win here at SAG was for lead actor for Brendan Fraser in The Whale, where he took down Austin Butler, he took down Colin Farrell, and he won where a lot of people were predicting, hey, this is the spot if he's going to win anywhere... He's going to win here. It's just, to me, that whole best picture, best actor correlation spot really kind of matters. And the fact that Butler took the BAFTA, and like you just said, the BAFTA's not going 0 for 4. I think that's the most safe pick from the BAFTA to carry over to the Oscar. Other than, like, if Yo would have lost here at SAG, I would have been like, no, Blanchett's the safest. But the fact that Yo upset here, and this is the last thing they all see, and like you mentioned, everyone's speech was really hyping up Yo. I think that's going to carry yeah. over into Oscar voting, and I think that she is going to come along uh, for the win there.
2: She is. She's a figurehead of the movie, like Jamie Lee Curtis, who is the champion, the cheerleader, the number one reason why Everything Ever All at Once has had the success it has. Truly, I I, I attribute the entire campaign and the success of Everything Ever All at Once this award season to Jamie Lee Curtis. She made. A weird movie with butt plugs and martial arts and talking rocks and raccoons on people's heads she made a movie like that into something that the average old voter could appreciate she got out there and said hey guys this movie is special go and watch it go and watch it and support my friend Michelle Yeoh. She became a, um, a symbol of female friendship at the Golden Globes when she screamed that Michelle Yeoh had won. You know, I, I think that truly, if we're talking about the success of this movie, we have to talk about Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Um, but honestly, in terms of Fraser Farrell, this one, I'm... I'm pretty torn on because i was really expecting butler to win here just because that type of performance that type of movie is so populist it feels so targeted to sag it feels like something that they would eat up i mean they went with rami Malik a few years ago right so mm-hmm. that feels like the precedent that that should be getting set and honestly i the only thing keeping me from changing my prediction is not only do I think that is not gonna go zero or one for four, right? That's one thing. But the other thing is, Elvis is gonna win in a bunch of other categories, right? And unless Elvis really underperforms, how how do they go with the movie that would get only one win over, yeah. how, how do they do that in best actor? But that said, man, Frazier's speech was really good. We talked about speeches leaving an impression. His speech was imp- impactful. It left an impression. Um, and, you know, after re-watching Elvis, I, I just don't see what all the hubbub is about for the performance. And I'm probably going to keep predicting it, but I'm really torn. I'm really torn. I, I f- am feeling like it might be Frasier. But Butler just makes more sense
0: so for the latter half of that uh talk about austin butler not getting the hubbub everyone out there tune in to our episode next week about uh revisiting elvis we will talk all about that going into detail but here for fraser's case i i don't know to me this role is specifically targeted for sag it's the return of a very beloved actor doing something that he's never done before in his career yes i get the whole like oh butler's playing an icon and a very actor showy type performance but the Frazier one to meet like if he lost sag like that would be pretty crazy i know i didn't predict him to win i just felt like with the bath to win the momentum was going there but like throughout the season i was saying like i still think Frazier's getting sag even though i have butler taking the oscar so to me this doesn't change anything for my oscar prediction but i think it does solidify like hey Frazier is too it's not Feral. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah i, I mean Ferrell feral needed bafta um and that's the interesting thing that i i keep wanting to say is Farrell needed bafta like butler needed sag and, mm-hmm. and i like i really feel like butler needed this i really do but at the same time i just I it just doesn't make sense for it to be fraser because that movie's not going to win anything else whereas it, it, elvis it, is going to take makeup and costumes
0: if if fraser wins actor it's taking makeup I, I, I believe there's that. there's no
2: way it's taking makeup. There's no way it's taking makeup, right?
0: I, I guess we'll have to find out. Cause...
2: Even at the Critics' Choice Awards, they gave Elvis makeup and they gave Fraser actor.
0: Yeah. I don't know. To me, Fraser can't win being the, the only win for that movie. And it would what? have to bring something else. I, I say that while King Richard won for Will Smith last year and winning nothing else. But um, I don't know. To me... King Richard was still a Best Picture movie. It had the love. It was probably number two in editing and maybe even screenplay, maybe three in screenplay. So like it was there competing while The Whale is number one or two in actor, number five in supporting actress, number two in hair and makeup. And then that's its nomination haul. It missed out on screenplay, yeah. it missed out on picture, and it missed out on... Yeah, those are the other two major ones.
2: At the same time, a performance like that losing SAG, it feels the way that Bassett... Losing SAG feels to me like mm-hmm. a performance like Kate Blanchett doesn't need SAG. She still feels extremely like strong, and uh, it just, it doesn't feel it feels like both Fraser and Butler have weaknesses at this point. There are things that just don't feel perfectly right about either of these uh, wins. So you know, my it, last it question. Feel like they fit.
0: My last question before we hop out of here or this discussion would be, if they reversed, Fraser wins BAFTA, Butler wins SAG, do you still feel as confused or do you feel better about one of them?
2: I would go 100% Austin Butler. Okay. If Fraser won BAFTA and Butler won SAG, I would go, okay, this shows the Americans, they love Butler, they love Elvis, the acting branch is going to get behind him and it's winning all these other awards. It's the fact that uh, such a populist organization a group that should absolutely go nuts for elvis he couldn't win there you know that feels weird to me that feels okay weird. i'm still predicting him but it feels weird
0: well the absolute last thing that i want to say before we move into our next topic would just be top Gun: maverick it won a sag award it's still alive in best yeah. picture right
2: i want to deeply apologize for the two of us convincing maybe convincing people to go woman king or black panther because um, they, they did the choice that makes sense for once. Literally, we went through all of the years of the Stunt Ensemble Award. And every year, it's like, wow. You, I mean, you went with that over Mission Impossible? Yeah. You, huh? Like, this is, this is the first time that they've made a choice that really makes sense in, in quite some time.
0: To me... If everything everywhere got that nomination for stunts, do you think it would have won?
2: Oh my God, it would have. It would have walked away with it. Yes. I agree. Yeah, I completely. I completely think it would have won the stunt award. Absolutely. Okay. One last thing, Michelle Yeoh versus Kate Blanchett. I think that this is the most heated uh, award at the, at the moment because Blanchett has won everything. Michelle Yeoh just has SAG. Now, initially. Early in the season, when I was saying that I thought Michelle Yeoh was going to go on to win, this is what I predicted. I said that Blanchett would get Golden Globe, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, and Michelle Yeoh would get Golden Globe, SAG. And here we are. I, you know, I kind of saw that as the path for Michelle Yeoh to get to victory. But. I don't know now. I'm I'm. I think that Michelle Yeoh will will get in and win based on the movie. But does Cate Blanchett still have a strong chance?
0: I, I like I said before. I think it's fifty fifty. Why I'm now switching back to Yeoh because I was also Yeoh with you for a while because of. Uh, an early stat that I forgot which body it was. That was NBR. like, they can't, it was NBR. NBR. It was like, they have to go one for four, and Yo is my one to stay true. And mm-hmm. then I switched over to Blanchette just because she was winning everything, and Yo lost at CCA. It's like, CCA can't give it to her. Who is? Clearly, mm-hmm. Sag is. And I think she's back alive, and I think the fact that Sag is last is going to leave the impression for everything everywhere. And that goes to my overall point of instead of this movie winning just picture, director, and Quan it's going to win at least two more if not three for a total of five or six being the most awarded winners since the hurt locker i think was the stat that i saw
2: but i want to ask one last question before we wrap it up today are there any other categories that we think everything everywhere could coattail in let's say people are voting down ballot and they're just going everything Everywhere in every category what outside of all of these main categories what do we think it could surprise win I'd score. say costumes. I'd say score. Score.
0: Babylon shaky, there's no real number two. A passion pick yeah. best picture carries over there.
2: Yep, yeah, score I think could happen. Um honestly my my reason for costumes is that I think the uh, the race between Black Panther and Elvis is a little bit more fierce than we think, and I think everything everywhere could come in as a sneaky, sneaky number three and benefit from a vote split between those two
0: i i'd agree with you if it takes down black panther at the costume guilds uh this upcoming week if it does yes. that i would then say yes everything everywhere uh will either be number two or number one in costumes the last thing i'll say to circle back to editing real quick for the BAFTAs. yeah the BAFTAs didn't like everything everywhere they very much did not like maverick so i agree with your point there that they gave it to a movie that they didn't really like but there's another but, movie that's the front runner that they really but, really didn't
2: like but they could have given it to All Quiet. They could have given it to All Quiet. All Quiet, they gave every other award. So why, except for Passion, did mm-hmm. Everything ever All at Once get that Fair award? Enough. Fair me, enough. I'll, I'll give you that. To me, that just says that they loved the editing of that movie or it stood out to them enough that they wanted to go for it, even over their number one favorite movie. Because I, I wouldn't expect Top Gun to win there knowing that all quiet was a sweeper i would expect all quiet to win
0: fair enough fair enough i'll give you that
2: uh but ultimately i mean yes we got to watch out for some of the rest of the guilds because that will show us where is everything ever all at once really strongest where is it really going to uh continue is there any other chances of some surprise wins because we might be seeing the biggest sweep we've seen since the mid 2000s here uh which i'm all for it man i'm all for it this is exciting it's so exciting to see a movie like this a movie so scrappy and fucking weird just uh, do this i love it i love to see it
0: you know what time it is draft time and we're back but i regret to inform my little win streak it's come to an end i finally fell it only took like two weeks after my initial run. Uh, Matt, how do you feel? You got the win with the drafting director's filmographies. I probably threw because I didn't take Spielberg first overall.
2: Dude, Spielberg was the trump card. It even overpowered the fact that I had... Edward Berger on my team. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I, I think that it wasn't just Spielberg. It's also the outpouring of love for Todd Field. It's also Martin McDonough and Sarah Polly. I saw some people on our Discord uh, really talking about how Field and Polly made the team. So here we are. This is our last draft of this fantasy season. We've been doing this segment of our show for like 13 weeks now. You've won some... I've won some, it's been pretty even back and forth, but I'm sorry to tell you, Dylan, I think I'm going to win this week because I'm sticking to my guns. And for my first pick overall, I'm going to go with the movie that I've been calling as the best picture winner since May of last year. I'm going to pick everything everywhere all at once, and I'm going to hope that this is the trump card uh, that just brings me home to another W here.
0: Yeah. Good pick. It's the clear number one overall. However, 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 as we've mentioned before, and I know PGA told us differently, but it's a divisive movie. Some people really don't like it. You know what movie people do love when they don't like everything ever all at once? They love themselves some Top Gun Maverick. So give me that with my first overall pick. On the completely different side of the spectrum, this is a big box office behemoth that did cost a lot of money and just a lot of people went out to see this movie multiple times if not twice three four times they told their families they told their friends people of all ages have been rocking with this movie and i mean i don't know top gun feels like to me the clear number two choice of everything that we have here to hit to the biggest just demographic but a pair of top gun i have a lot of choices here do i go with my personal picks do i go for whatever people were thinking but i think i'm gonna try to combine them both to something i both like and that a lot of other people like as well and uh, as i'm looking here i'm like i don't even know what movie that fits so so (laughs) so i think i think i think i have to go with this movie even if i don't really want to and that is Tar.
2: Nice. I was kind of hoping you were going to leave that, because I know you're not a huge fan of it, so I was, I was hoping you had that I could tar? snag that, like, last round.
0: If you had Tar and everything everywhere, I think you would get every vote.
2: Hmm. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but on that note, uh, I'm also going to go with my 10th place movie here, but I know it's a lot of people's number one, number two. This is probably the second place movie for Best Picture, so give me Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inish Aaron, which... To be fair, I did just say it's my spot 10, but personally, I you know I like all of these movies. I really do, and this movie, like the rest of Martin McDonagh's films, it has just a delicious darkness to it. It's melancholy, but it's funny as hell, and it's got my favorite performance in the Best Leading Actor category, Colin Farrell. So, you know what, I'm totally happy with that choice as my second place, and personally, I feel like that's the right second place that we've got here. If we're looking at how enthusiastic people are overall about these films, Banshees, I think, has the second most buzz around it uh, on here. It might not be the most populous, like Top Gun, but I think people absolutely fucking love this film. So that is my number two choice. But now with my number three, I have to go with a little movie by a little underdog director. Uh, and that is uh, someone you might not have heard of, Steven Spielberg. And I'm picking The Fablemans, number three. Now, The Fablemans, this was the early frontrunner that lost buzz, but truly, it is such a lovely film. And I keep coming back to this. The reason why I love this movie so much is the humility that it shows from Spielberg. It shows a filmmaker who truly, truly believes in, that they have more to learn and they have room to grow. And I think that's a beautiful thing.
0: That is a beautiful thing. You got two very beloved, passionate picks there. And I think I'm going to go on the complete other side. While those are both kind of more smaller scale stories, I'm going to go for two very big, massive scales, very big productions. And you may have Banshees, which most people thought was going to win the BAFTA, but I have the movie that actually won the BAFTA, all quiet on the western front this is that little movie that no one thought was gonna be nominated for best picture and guess what it was because of how many people adored this movie on a technical side and on a picture side the pale of that though the movie i personally believe all those nominations that went to all quiet should have gone to avatar the way of water made by another little unknown filmmaker by the name of james cameron
2: hmm Good, good one. I mean, uh, that's your, your ride or die pick for the whole year. So that is a great choice by you. Yeah, so what are your last two? Okay, for my last two picks, obviously, first off, hi, Totoro. Obviously, first off, I have to go with my girl, Sarah Pauly, Women Talking, the film I've been standing so hard all season long. And I feel like this is a film now that more people are finally getting to see it i think the popularity of this film is rising and rising because this movie is absolutely incredible it is so beautiful it is so special uh, so that is my next pick and for my final pick i'm left with two here and i know the one i want to pick you but i'm take really it. torn i'm really torn here no, you know what? I'll I'll give you your favorite. I'll take my favorite. I will finish off with Triangle of Sadness, and I will leave you with Elvis. I love Triangle of Sadness. It is my um, I think it's my fourth favorite movie of the year, maybe fifth favorite movie of the year. I absolutely love this movie. I think it's wild, wacky, hilarious, and it's a pretty special art house movie that balances the. Uh, crudeness of something extremely lowbrow and also the the highbrow nature of like a can winner which it is so that would be my final pick uh and i know i probably should have gone elvis but you know i feel like it's best to leave your favorite to you and leave my favorite to me rather than screwing you over with a movie you don't like very much
0: hey i do like triangle i I gave it a solid seven out of ten but yes i'm happy that you left me elvis i was kind of pulling that strategy that you were hoping to do with Tar, leaving the movie that the other person doesn't like as much, hoping it can stick around till the end of the draft. A lot of those words that you just used to describe triangle could be used for Elvis here. It's wacky, it's wild, it's funny, and it it just delivers, at least to me. I know it's the most divisive movie in our Best Picture lineup, but I feel the people who really love it just adore it and the people who don't like it they at least find some things that they can really appreciate whether that is butler whether that is the costumes the makeup or something there they they find something they at least like but i mean i've said this countless times i think our best picture lineup this year is so strong the bottom movie for me would still be like the number four five or six movie in most other years so like i don't think there's a bad movie in this lineup right here
2: so let's recap the team that i ended up here with is everything ever all at once the Banshees of Inisherin, the Fablemans, Women Talking, and Triangle of Sadness. And on the other hand, I have Top Gun Maverick,
0: Tar, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, and Elvis.
2: So, you gotta let us know, whose team do you think is best? Make sure you head over to our YouTube community tab, make your voice heard, make your voice known. You gotta vote for this, because your votes will determine Who gets to go first on our next draft? It is so important. One vote can make a difference. So please head over to our community tab and leave your vote. Do it. I'm begging you.
0: Please do it. You got to make the right choice. Come on. I know know you have your picks out there. Let them be heard.
2: Yep. You need to make the right choice, which is my team this week. Hey, 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 hey,
0: hey. Thank you for tuning to episode 38 of Fancy Film Ball. We went over a lot today. We recapped PGA and SAG. We did our revisiting series. And we had a draft. But because we did have a guest, being my grandma Nini, we talked about our own personal preferential ballots. But I want to get hers because this is the first year, I think outside of last year, where she's watched all the nominees. Last year, she ended up seeing them all after the awards ceremony. But this is the first time she's seen them all before the awards. So I'm going to let her list off her numbers 1 through 10.
1: Well, I think after the second watch, I have to say number one is everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, Number two, I've got to go with women talking. Dylan Mm -hmm. and I saw that at the film festival in Charlottesville on the big screen. and We got to meet and talk to um, Judith Ivey after the film, and I just really thought that was well done, and... I think it should be getting more credit than it is. Um, after that, I think Elvis is probably my third favorite, and then Avatar, and then The Fablemans, which I really liked a lot. There's there's a lot of good movies this year. Um, mm-hmm. After that, I'd have to say The, the Banshees. Uh, The fingers, the donkey, (laughs) the whole thing. I just, I just, I loved the uh, scenery. It was just a good movie. I had trouble with the accents a little bit. I have to admit, I had trouble understanding them at times. And after that, and maybe even tied with that, is All Quiet on the Western Front. That it reminded me a lot of the movie 1917, the way it was visually but it it had a really good story and I I really thought that was well made. After that, I am not really, really crazy about the the last three. Um, I'd say Top Gun, Maverick. Um, It was a very good movie, but I felt like I had seen it before um, because I did. It was very much a retelling of the first one in my opinion. Um, what do I have next? Triangle of Sadness. I'm not sure why that got nominated, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, I'm a supporter of that movie. I like it a lot, personally. But I can understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, you either love it or hate it. I loved um, Don't Look Up. I told all my friends about it, and I still stand by that. But there are definitely some haters.
0: And then your number 10 movie, which I know may make Matt a little sad.
1: Uh, no. Tar.
2: That was my number ten for a very long time. So, um, I I get it. I totally get it. I really like it now. But for a very long time, that was my bottom movie of the year, not of the whole year, but of the best picture category.
0: Yeah, that's that's where I'm still at as well. But hey, Matt, we have another women talking fan. This this makes we like do. four of us now.
2: I'm so glad you got to meet Judith Ivey. She sounds so lovely. Um, I just. I love this movie. I can't say enough about this movie. I love women talking. I'm really glad you do too.
1: Yeah, it was great. I loved it.
0: But thank you so much for coming on the show today. I hope that you had some fun.
1: I did. And I wasn't nearly as nervous as I thought I would be.
0: Hey, that's what it's all about. But definitely tune in next week because we're going over our final Oscar predictions in every category. So you definitely don't want to miss that. But until then, my name is Dill,
2: And my name is Matt. And this has been Fantasy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with
0: Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at @FilmBall. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show and come back next week.